Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. I'll read those for us this morning. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord hath spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you, God, for letting us uh, come here to worship this morning and open up your word. And God, as we celebrate this Advent season, God, I pray that you would help us to focus on the reason for this season, God, and it's the celebration of the coming of a king. And God, we pray that this morning that we would be challenged by your word to become better followers of you. God, help us to be hearers and doers, Lord, of everything that you say to us from your uh, scriptures. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. Now, there's a lot of excitement anytime there is uh, a new a child born into a royal family. Um, in fact, in the 17th and 18th centuries, anytime a child was born into a royal family, it was actually like a public spectacle. They would invite people from all around, and they would actually witness in the room with the, uh, the mother the birth of this royal child. Now, I'm sure uh, Megan and Kate and all those royal ladies, I'm glad they're, they're probably glad that tradition has gone away with, but there's still a lot of there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of anticipation anytime there's an announcement of a royal baby. Well, in our text this morning, Matthew tells us the story about the birth of a king. And that king is King Jesus. And often when we think about the Christmas story, we're typically thinking about the Luke 2 uh, section of it. We think about the little town of Bethlehem, no room in the end. Silent Night, Holy Night, born in, the, uh, born in the stable, laid in the manger, uh, which all that is part of the Christmas story that's all wonderful to, to reflect on and to celebrate. But less often, we think about the time leading up to the birth of Jesus. Because the circumstances surrounding the birth of Jesus weren't exactly ideal. It was actually a mess. It was a little bit chaotic, but it was all God's plan. And that's what we're going to find in our text this morning. It's coming from the perspective of Joseph, who would serve as Jesus' father while he was here on earth. The conception of Jesus brought an unexpected disruption to Joseph's life, and it presented a huge test of his faith. So as we look at the story, we can, we can certainly celebrate the things about the birth of a king. But I want to use the Christmas story this morning to, to challenge us to greater faith and obedience to God. How do you respond when there's unexpected turns in your life journey? What do you do when God's will is contrary to your plan? How do you proceed when God tells you to go out into the unknown? My prayer is that we would be challenged and inspired by Joseph's story 
to follow God's uh, plan for us no matter the cost. Let's look at this together. In Matthew uh, chapter 1, verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. And let, let's pause there for a second. Um, I want to draw your attention to that word birth because the, the Greek word that is used there is actually the word Genesis. And that should probably ring a bell for us, right? The, the book of Genesis is that first book in the Bible that talks about the origin story of the earth and the origin of mankind. Well, what Matthew will do is he's going to give us the origin story of Jesus. Where did he come from? How did he get here? And what is his purpose? We'll learn more about the details surrounding his conception than actually his birth in this passage. So, so keep that, the genesis of Jesus, in the back of your mind, because we'll refer to that several times um, as we go through this passage. Now, let's continue on. It says, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So we find out that Jesus' mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph. So let's talk about betrothal for a little bit. It was like an engagement, but the engagement was much more serious than an engagement in today's terms. Uh, most couples were arranged to be married, so often it was a legal obligation that put them together and not necessarily a love thing. Uh, and when a couple was betrothed, they were already legally bound together. So they were basically husband and wife already. Um, breaking off their betrothal would actually require a legal divorce. So the Groove family would have already paid a bride price uh, to the bride's father, and the bride would have provided a dowry, which would have been her part of her family's inheritance to the, uh, to the, uh, to the groom and his family. So there's already an exchange of goods, and anytime money's involved, y'all know it gets serious. Um, the only thing that would be left during the time of betrothal would be for the future bride and groom to have a ceremony, move into a household together, and consummate their marriage physically. That would take place about a year after the betrothal was made official. And they did this to ensure that the 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 groom was getting a pure bride. There was no pregnancy during that betrothal period. So Matthew tells us that before they came together, so this is before the year-long betrothal period uh, was over, they had not moved in together, they had no physical relationship at this time, Mary was found to be pregnant. Now, we're told that the child was from the Holy Spirit. In other words, this was a virginal conception and birth of Jesus. God formed Jesus in Mary's womb without any type of sexual relationship. The only other time God formed a man directly in this way was when God created Adam from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, literally the spirit, and man became a living soul. So in similar fashion as in the, uh, the genesis of man, the genesis of Jesus on earth was that God, through the Holy Spirit, um, formed, me, uh, formed Jesus in Mary's womb. Why did God do it that way? Why did Jesus have to be birthed by a virgin? The virgin birth demonstrates that Jesus was human and divine. He was fully God, but he was still fully man. As God, he could, only, uh, he could be the only person to pay the penalty and forgive our sins. As man, he could be our representative. He could be our second Adam making him the adequate sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice for our sin. God was able to take on flesh uh, without losing any of his divine nature through the virgin birth. 
So the conception of Jesus was miraculous. It was an act of creation that could be only carried out by God, but of course, that doesn't sound plausible. It says that Mary was found to be with child, so it's likely that this was four months or so into the pregnancy, and Mary's beginning to show when this took place. Now, this is not in the Bible, but just humor me a little bit with a scenario that might sound like it's something out of a mid, uh, midday soap opera. Um, maybe it's like uh, the chosen in sermon form, where, you know, just adding a little bit of context, a little bit of feel to what the Bible actually says. But imagine Mary and Joseph are together. Maybe they're, they're house hunting or they're just having out for a nice walk. They're planning their future together. Joseph looks down at Mary's belly and is like, um, Mary, I know we're basically husband and wife already. But don't let yourself go before the wedding night. <laughs> Mary, your diet's been crazy lately. You had five loaves and two fishes for lunch. Have you been skipping out on the Pilates? Like, you're looking a little bit more round than the day that we got betrothed. Then Mary looks at Joseph with a sad face, tears in her eyes. The coach. Joseph starts apologizing, like, no, I'm not calling you fat. That's not what I'm saying. It's okay. We all put on a little bit of weight from time to time. Then Mary looks at Joseph. She takes him by the hand. She says, Joseph, I've been waiting for the right time to tell you. I don't know how to tell you, so I'm just going to say it. I'm pregnant. And you can imagine Joseph has this flabbergasted look on his face. He's devastated. This would have been the nightmare scenario. He's already paid for the marriage. He was committed to having a life with this young woman. But she had been unfaithful and she was pregnant by another man. Then Mary interjects. She's just like, but Joseph, it's not what you think. I've been faithful. I haven't been with another man. I love you. This baby came from God. And it was formed by the Holy Spirit in my womb. I know it sounds crazy, but it's, it's true. An angel appeared to me and told me that this baby was going to be really special. And now Joseph's not only hurt, but he's angry. How dare she try to blame this on God? Does she think I'm stupid? I know how babies are conceived. She's obviously lying to cover up what she's done. Mary's weeping. Joseph, I'm telling the truth. I've been, I haven't been unfaithful. But Joseph at this point doesn't want to hear it. He's done with the marriage. He storms off. She's left there uh, crying and, you know, the sad violin music's playing in the, in, the, in the background and that's the end of the scene. Now, again, we, we aren't told exactly how this went down, but perhaps you can imagine something like that taking place. It would have been a highly emotional day finding out that the woman you were supposed to marry was pregnant. And the child definitely wasn't yours. So Joseph had to decide what he was going to do. From Joseph's point of view, there was only two options. His first option was to make this a public spectacle. Under Jewish law, Mary actually could have been stoned for adultery, but while they were under Roman rule, they were not allowed to perform their own executions. But Joseph could have taken Mary to divorce court. I think Judge Maybelline was already there. 
and he could have put her to an open shame before the entire community. He could have got back his bride price, and he possibly even could have kept the dowry that his family got for Mary. Or Joseph's other option was to privately divorce her with two witnesses, and basically he would just take a loss. Verse 19 says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So obviously staying with Mary wasn't one of his options. When the Bible says that Joseph was a just man, it's not saying that he was just a nice guy and didn't want to hurt her feelings. It's actually saying that he was an upright, law-abiding man of character who followed God, and he wanted nothing to do with a corrupt marriage. There is uh, no way he was going to marry Mary, who he may have thought was an adulterer and a liar. Understand that if Joseph were to stay with Mary, it would basically be an admission of guilt. It would seem like Joseph jumped the gun a little bit and the baby was his. So it would tarnish his reputation in the community. So divorce was his only option. And Joseph would have been totally justified in in publicly shaming her. You can imagine his friends and his family were saying, hey, we're outraged. Let's let's make, uh, uh, put uh, Mary to that public shame. She needs to pay for everything that she's done. You know how we get sometimes when people cheat on the people we love? Like, we, we feel that way, right? We, we just want to get revenge and make them feel the pain. But it seems that Joseph's character seems to lend to him being a merciful man. And he decided that he would go the route of a private divorce to spare Mary some of the shame that she would get from this pregnancy. But how many times does this happen? Y'all know what this happens, that sometimes when we have things all figured out and we know the plan that we're going to take. God steps in and reveals something totally different. And that's exactly what happened to Joseph. An angel appears to Joseph in a dream to give him a different perspective on the situation. Look at verse 20. It says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Notice the angel addresses Joseph as the son of David. This points back to that genealogy that Pastor Jeremy covered last week. The angel reminds Joseph of his royal heritage. And this hints at the role that Joseph was to play in this, uh, in this birth. It had been prophesied that the Messiah was to be a son of David. Joseph was to take this baby and adopt him as his own. And when Joseph and Mary were legally married... Jesus would be legally a son of David, making him part of the royal line. The angel confirms Mary's story. The baby was actually conceived by the Holy Spirit. She had not been unfaithful. She maintained her godliness and her purity. He had no ground for divorce, and he was to go forward with marrying her. This had to come as a shock to Joseph. He had already decided, hey, I need to cut ties with Mary. I'm not sure what this whole situation is about, but I can't be a part of it. And then the angel continues. He shares with Joseph the mission of the baby. He says in verse 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus was the Greek form of the name Joshua or Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves, the Lord saves. And the Jewish people had long awaited a Messiah from the line of David who would be their savior and their deliverer. 
and particularly at this time, they were looking for a Messiah, a king, a warrior who would deliver them from Roman oppression. And the word safe here can refer to deliverance from physical harm, from disease, from hunger, from oppression, from death. But the promise here is that Jesus would save his people from their sins. This brings into focus the primary mission of the Messiah. It was salvation from sin. He would come for the root because the root of all the brokenness and the calamities and everything wrong in our world, the root of it all is sin. This would be the nature of the king. He would come and he would destroy the power of sin. People would be delivered from spiritual bondage, being free from their sins. Joseph might have understood his people to refer to the Jewish people, but it's progressively revealed in Scripture that his people referred to the Messiah's people. Jews and Gentiles alike who would follow Jesus, they would be freed from their sins. Matthew tells us that all this happened in fulfillment of prophecy. Look at verses 22 and 23. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the baby's title, like a, a nickname, would be Emmanuel, God with us. And this quote is from Isaiah chapter 7, verses 14. And it's a passage that's, that has a little bit of debate surrounding it. Um, it's, it's likely a prophecy that has a double fulfillment. So um, it's a little complicated. Try to follow along with me. Uh, but I encourage you, like, if this piques your interest, like, go and study it yourself because I might not do a good job explaining it. Um, the prophecy was originally given to King Ahaz by the prophet Isaiah. Ahaz was the king of Judah during the divided kingdom era when there was a northern kingdom of Israel and there was a southern kingdom of Judah. So Ahaz is the king of Judah, and he was being threatened to be attacked by the northern kingdom and the nation of Syria. Isaiah comes to Ahaz. And tells him, hey, the kingdom of Judah will not be destroyed, and God will give him a sign of it. Well, Ahaz was a wicked king, and he didn't actually want a sign from God. He wanted to, do his, uh, to bring deliverance to Judah on his own terms. He wanted no part of God's deliverance, so he planned to help to get the Assyrian army to come and help him in battle. So the Assyrians actually would come, but after helping G uh, Judah win, they would actually take over Judah. So, God said, even though you don't want a sign of God's presence, you're going to get one. And that's what Isaiah 7:14 says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, you shall call his name Emmanuel. The word that is translated as virgin in this verse can mean a woman who is sexually pure or a young woman who is of the age to be married. And it's likely that there was a partial fulfillment when there was some young woman in the household of Ahaz had a child when they overtook uh, the, uh, uh, the, the nation of Judah. Then the name Emmanuel, God with us, was to remind Ahaz that he couldn't escape God's presence. Whether he, it was uh, God's blessing when uh, he submitted to God or it was God's uh, judgment when he rejected God, God was going to be present. God was with us. He was going to be there to bless him, judge him, or uh, for rejecting him. So Isaiah continues, although, uh, although uh, Israel lacked faith in this situation, he says that there's still going to be deliverance for Judah. 
And he continues with this idea of an Emmanuel that's coming. Still referring to Emmanuel, he says in Isaiah 9, 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So this part when he's talking about Emmanuel, it's obviously a messianic prophecy. It's talking about something that's going to happen in the future. There would be someone on the throne of King David whose kingdom would last forever, and this child would be the mighty God. So Matthew, back in our text, reaches back to this prophecy and says this was the complete fulfillment of that prophecy in Jesus. It was not just a young woman who was going to have a child, but it was, uh, it was actually going to be a virgin, the other meaning of that word that would bear a son, and it would be a miraculous birth. It would be a sign. It would be a wonder. And the child would literally be God with us. And that's an amazing truth, that God is with us. He's not far off. He's not left us to struggle against sin on our own. Jesus came down and he, he took on humanity to bring us redemption. He came right into our mess, right into our sinful world, yet he remained himself holy and sinless. He did so that he could identify with our weakness. We read that in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The name Jesus and Emmanuel give us incredible insight into the mission of Jesus and why he was born. Remember that word birth again. In verse 18, that word Genesis, right? When Adam and Eve disobeyed in the garden, they brought sin and all of its adverse effects into the world. Another effect was that it broke fellowship with God. God would walk with them in the cool of the day, the Bible said, before the fall, but sin created this separation between God and man. The genesis of Jesus brings restoration to the two things that were damaged by the fall. Jesus would save people from their sins, and he would again be with us. He would be Emmanuel. He brings salvation man, uh, uh, for, for man's greatest problem. He brings an avenue to meet God, uh, man's greatest need, which is relationship with God. Jesus' birth inaugurated a, a new beginning, a second genesis in which God and man could be reconciled. This, the promised one of Genesis 3.15, this is the one who would crush the head of the serpent. And that's why we can celebrate the birth of Christ. That's why Christmas is a time that we should have joy the birth of Jesus was, it was miraculous, it was momentous, but we can't forget the situation was still a little bit messy. Imagine Joseph hearing all this for the first time. Mary is a virgin, giving birth to the Messiah, and I'm supposed to marry her and adopt him as my son. Raising the Messiah just sounds like a daunting task, sounds like something that would be intimidating to me. All this had to sound completely outrageous to him. Like this was not what Joseph had in mind when he was betrothed to Mary. And after he found out she was pregnant, he was just going to put her away silently and go about his business. 
Now Joseph had a decision to make. He could just chalk this dream up to having some bad grapes before the, uh, the night before. Or maybe he could listen to the words of the angel and follow God's plan. We read his decision in verse 24. It says, when Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. Joseph believed the word of God that was delivered to him by that angel, and he obeyed God's command without hesitation. He married Mary. They had no sexual relationship until the baby was born. They named the child Jesus just as he's commanded. And just as Joseph was instructed, he did everything that the angel told him in the dream. Joseph's life was going to be totally transformed by surrendering to God's plan. He was going to be privileged to play an integral role in God's plan for redemption for all mankind. He would be able to raise the Messiah, the Christ, as his son. It was an interruption to, to Joseph's life, but it was a glorious interruption. It wasn't what Joseph had planned, but he surrendered to God's will, and he was blessed because of it. And so the main thought I want us to take away from this this morning is that, that following God's plan isn't always easy, but it's always best. Following God's will is it's not always easy, but it is always best. Joseph's response to this situation is a great example for us today because sometimes our plans, our dreams, our natural rhythms of life are unexpectedly interrupted. There will be times when life circumstances take a different direction than we were planning to go. Sometimes we are tested with obstacles and trials that just seem like they're unnecessary. At times, God's word may totally disrupt our way of thinking. It's in these times we need to follow Joseph's example. Trust God, submit to God's way, and obey. We have to be willing to embrace God's narrative over our plans. Now, some of us might be thinking it would be a lot easier if an angel appeared to me and, and told me exactly what I should do. And I get that. And it's unlikely to happen. But we have... Uh, some tools that Joseph did not have. We have the entirety of God's word available to us. We can look to his word and receive instruction for life and godliness. And today it's easier than ever. Like we got Google, we got ChatGPT. If there's something you want to know about what God says, all you got to do is just type it in and you'll find plenty of information about how God, uh, God, what God's word says about a certain topic. We have teachers and pastors now help us to apply God's words to our life. And most importantly, we have the Holy Spirit. He is our teacher. He's our helper. He's our guide. He's our comforter. He dwells within each believer. Uh, he guides us. And the Bible says that he even prays for us about those things that we don't even know we need. We may not have the angels in our dream, but we have so many resources available to us to help us to discern God's will for our lives. God will make it known to us. We just have to be willing to surrender. And that's what following Jesus is all about. As Jesus would tell his disciples, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. It's complete submission to the Father and obedience to him. And you know, the first people in the New Testament that had to learn this were Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph. 
Joseph had to put his plans in God's hands. He had to put his reputation on the line. He surrendered his life to accomplishing God's will. Joseph was the example that we find here in this this passage, but it mirrored what Christ did for us. Remember, Jesus came to save his people from their sins. He's Emmanuel. He is God with us. He left his throne in heaven and was born as a baby. I like this quote from C.S. Lewis. The eternal being who knows everything and who created the whole universe became not only a man, but before that, a baby. And before that, a fetus inside of a woman's body. If you want to get the hang of it, I think you, uh, you uh, how would you like to become a slug or a crab? In other words, thinking of becoming the lowest possible life form that you can think of. That's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus was born as a baby and died as a man in complete submission to the Father's will. We're reading that famous passage, Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus accepted God, uh, the Father's will and obeyed his commands to the point of death on the cross. Leaving heaven wasn't easy. Taking on human limitations wasn't easy. Suffering death on the cross for sure wasn't easy. But it was God's plan for our reconciliation, re- restoration, and redemption. So Jesus surrendered to the Father's will because it was best for our salvation and for his glory. Do you have the same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus? And to a lesser extent, that we see in Joseph here in this passage. We all likely have times where God has interrupted our lives. The breakup. The layoff. The unexpected health issue. The call to ministry whatever it may be, are you willing to lay everything down and trust that God has a purpose and a plan? Are you willing to lay down your plans for God's will? Are you willing to change your perception when God reveals new truth to you from Scripture? Are you willing to be inconvenienced when God's plan isn't ideal? Are you willing to lay down your pride and prestige and follow Jesus? Are you willing to lay down financial gain and follow God? Are you willing to lay down that relationship and follow God? Like, we can keep going on and on and on. I don't know where God may be bringing you to in your life right now, but are you willing to submit to God's plan and respond in obedience to what he tells you? That's the challenge that comes along with Christmas. And that's the part we don't often think about. Joseph and Mary had to to lay their their lives aside. Everything that they had planned had to go to the wayside to follow God. Think about this. What if Joseph had said no? What if he went ahead with divorce and went ahead and moved forward with his own plan? Well, we know God's plan wasn't going to be stopped. God would have found it another way. And ultimately, that would have been God's plan. But Joseph would have missed out on so much. 
Maybe he would have got to marry someone else with no issues, no problems. Maybe he could have still had a successful carpentry business. Maybe he would have still been viewed as a model citizen in the community. But Joseph would have sold himself short because he would have missed out on Jesus. And let me tell you, that's not worth anything that this world has to offer. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and then loses his own soul? So as I close, if you're listening this morning and you are not a Christian, you are not a follower of Christ, I want to encourage you, don't miss out on Jesus. God desires a relationship with you. He can forgive you of all your sins, past, present, and future. He was born and died and rose again for you. And there's nothing in this world that is worth being eternally separated from God. So I want to encourage you to follow Jesus. For those of us that are saved, we are still challenged daily to follow God's commands. We're challenged daily to submit to God's will and to let God's, uh, God's word shape our lives and not our own perceptions, not our own ideas, but looking at God's word and allowing him to shape us. We need to ask, pray and ask God to, to shape our hearts. We need to ask God to be transformed through the renewing of our minds so that we can prove what is his good and acceptable and perfect will. We need to ask God to humble us, to submit to him. We need to pray and ask God to help us to embrace the sometimes messy and chaotic circumstances that are part of our life, but are a part of his will. Even when we're frustrated, confused, exhausted, may we still express complete faith in God. May we cling to that fact that, that God is with us and that he is mighty to save. Trust that God is working all things together for our good and for his glory. We need to ask God to help us trust that God's way is always best. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is a passage that we all know. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, uh, God, that we were able to open up your word this morning and, and read about the glorious birth of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for humbling yourself and becoming obedient to come to earth, to live as a man, and to die on the cross. We thank you for being Jesus, the God who saves. We thank you for being Emmanuel, God who is with us. We celebrate that this season. God, help us to never forget that. But also, God, help us to remember the challenge that was presented to, to Mary and Joseph here. God, when unexpected things happen in our lives, God, when you take our life a different direction than we intended to go, God, I pray that you would help us to embrace that chaos and say, Lord, whatever your will is, I'm willing to follow, I'm willing to obey. Lord, help us in the times when it's not easy. God, give us strength and courage for the times when, when life is hard. But God, give us the faith to know that ultimately you are in control and that all things are in your hands.
Help us to follow you, no matter the cost. No matter what our plans may be, help us to always put you first, to seek you first, and to put your kingdom above all else. We love you, Jesus. Thank you so much for loving us.